0: Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. That's our theme verse from Matthew chapter 6, verse 21 for this week's Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Associate Care Pastor Josh Masters continues our series called Encounters with Christ. Today's episode, a defining encounter. Here's this week's spiritual practice. Walk through your home or office and in your mind, give all you have to God. Tell Him you could live without the things you see and spend time releasing whatever has a grip on you surrender your life to Jesus, trusting him alone in salvation and for taking care of your daily needs. If you want to watch a video of this week's message, listen to worship or search through the message archives, visit brookwoodchurch.org watch or download the Brookwood Church app and be sure to subscribe to this podcast to stay up to date with the encounters with Christ series. We pray this message encourages you and your walk with Christ. And now Josh Masters.
1: Stay in this moment for just a few seconds. Are we truly willing to lay down everything at the feet of Jesus once and for all? Am I willing to see him lifted up as my kingdom falls? It's a difficult place for our hearts to land, isn't it? It's difficult to live in that truth. Because for us to lay everything down once and for all, it requires us to examine our character and to examine our motivations in life. Are we willing to do that together? That's the difficult question. And that's the difficult question. That we'll address this morning as we continue our series Encounters with Christ. Today's message is called A Defining Encounter. A defining encounter. I want to look at that word briefly as we begin. We'll define, define like this to describe the nature or basic qualities. Of something. That's the definition. And I think it's important for us to understand that because when you have an encounter with Jesus, your nature and your basic qualities will be revealed. Everything about you will be revealed. And looking under the surface, looking at the things that we don't even like to look at about ourselves on our own, is difficult, Right? looking at the things that we hide from ourselves and others. It's not something we usually want to look at. But we must look at it because an encounter with Christ will reveal and define your character. An encounter with Christ will reveal and then define my character. The process of examining who you really are and what you really want is difficult. And there are going to be difficult truths in this message. But if we walk through it together, then we can encourage one another in those difficult truths. Because we have to honestly define who we are before there can be a change in who we are. Did you catch that? You have to honestly define who you are before there can be a change in who you are. That's what we're going to see this morning as we look at the life of the rich young ruler. Now he gets that title because Matthew calls him young, Mark tells us that he's rich, and Luke calls him a ruler, most likely a religious leader that's connected to the synagogue. So you can go ahead and turn with me to Mark chapter 10, Mark chapter 10 if you're on your smart device you know where to find it but if you're using the bible available here at brookwood it's on page 811 811 and what we'll do is we'll read the entire encounter with with the rich young ruler so we get the whole story and then we'll break it down a little bit more specifically starting in verse 17 As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him. He knelt down and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and your mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There is still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give them to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come and follow me. And at this, the man's face fell. And he went away sad, for he had many possessions. We'll stop there and then we'll continue in a few minutes. So what do we see in this man? A lot of what we see in ourselves, actually. See, there are aspects of our lives that reveal our nature and define our character. And we're going to look at four of them this morning that we find not only in this passage, but also in ourselves. Here's the first one. My character is defined by the desires of my heart. My character is defined by the desires of my heart. Let's look a little bit more closely at each section of the passage. Back to verse 17, if you're following along. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit Eternal life. So, the first thing that we see from this man is that there is a desperation of the heart. He's urgently looking for answers. And we know that for a couple of reasons. First, he runs to catch up with Jesus. Now, in order for him to run, he would have to pull up his robes and expose his legs. And that was not only considered inappropriate, it would have been considered shameful. So men of status never ran in this culture, and yet this man runs to Jesus. And the second thing we see is that he kneels before Jesus in a sign of humility, right? Last week we talked about humility. Now he had acquired great wealth He was respected in the religious community, and he'd been faithful to the commandments, at least from his perspective. Yet he had this deep sense that something was missing in his relationship with God. And the emptiness that he felt was so pronounced that he threw away all decorum and he risked his reputation to try and get honest answers. So we know that his question, the question that is on his heart is sincere. It's a sincere question. Have you ever come to a place where you felt deep down inside that something was missing? Where you knew something was missing? Maybe you're sensing that right now. And if you are, there's something that we can learn from this man today. Now, I know his story is tragic. We've already seen the ending. But in the beginning, he does the right thing. First, he recognizes his need to be made right with God. And then he runs to Jesus. And then he kneels before Christ looking for guidance. And those are the same exact steps that we should take when we realize there's something missing in our relationship with God. But then that's when things go awry for our friend. He says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's wrong with that question? You can't do anything. That's exactly right. He's focused on what he can do. How can I earn my way into eternity? Mark Taylor sent me, he's he's a friend of mine, our discipleship pastor. uh, He sent me a quote this week uh, that he came across about this moment, and it said this The rich young man didn't want Jesus to be his savior, he wanted Jesus to show him the way to be his own savior. Good teacher, what can I do? And Jesus responds in a kind of surprising way in verse 18. He says, why do you call me good? Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. Now it sounds at first like Jesus is denying his own goodness, that he's denying his deity, but that's not what's happening here at all. What Jesus is doing is he's challenging the man's use of the word good. In the Jewish scriptures, the Tanakh, the Torah, what we call the Old Testament, the word good is used over and over again to describe the faithful love of God. Good is used to describe God's character. Here's the problem. The religious leaders also like to use the word good to describe themselves and one another, symbolizing their great adherence to the law. So yes, the man calls Jesus good, but he would also call himself good. So Jesus is not only challenging his use of the word, but he's trying to refocus the man's attention. He's trying to change his attention off from himself and onto the perfect goodness of God. Now, why is Jesus doing that? Well, as we walk through the story, you're going to see that Jesus gives him multiple opportunities to acknowledge his own lack of goodness. Because to be saved, Jesus knows that this man has to see the sinful nature of his own heart. You cannot receive the reward of God's grace and mercy and forgiveness until you understand your need for it. And Jesus is helping to lead this man to that realization. Outwardly, outwardly, this man has done everything right to convey that his deepest desire is eternity, but it's outside. And Jesus is preparing to show him that it's not true, that eternity is not his deepest desire. Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Your life is determined by what's in your heart. So your heart's deepest desire will always determine your actions. Because it's based on what you truly believe. And you may think that you want a closer relationship with God. But until we surrender the thing that we secretly want more than God we will continue to struggle in our faith and our actions and our belief. So how do we overcome that? How do we overcome this paradox? We ask God to reveal what the unhealthy desire of our heart is and then allow him to dig it out. Become willing Willing to pray this prayer from Psalm 26. Put me on trial, Lord. Cross-examine me. Test my motives and test my heart. That's a brave prayer. But if you're willing to do that, God will put a mirror up to your soul and he will reveal who you really are. And that may seem terrifying because it is terrifying. But it's the only way. It's the only way to overcome the stumbling blocks in your heart. And please understand, Christ doesn't want you to do that so he can condemn your heart. Christ wants you to be willing to do that so he can restore your heart. He wants to restore you fully and heal the brokenness that's in your heart. And Jesus is about to offer this man the same self reflecting mirror that leads to restoration that he offers us. Jesus continues his answer in verse 19. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone and honor your father and mother. Jesus is, of course, quoting from the Ten Commandments given to Moses, recorded in the book of Exodus. But what do you notice about which of the commandments he shares? What do you notice? This is worth 50 Brookwood points. What would you say, Richard? Yeah, it's all the commandments that are about how we treat other people, right? Jesus doesn't quote the first four commandments, which is about our relationship with God. Instead, he only uses examples... From the second half of the commandments about how we treat other people. That's interesting, right? See, Jesus knows this man's heart, and what needs to be revealed is his attitude toward other people. Because my character is defined by the dedication I have to others. My character, number two, is defined by the dedication I have to others. Now, clearly, I don't mean that in an unhealthy, codependent way. We need healthy boundaries. We need healthy relationships. But you cannot deny that again and again, the New Testament tells us that the Christian life must be marked by love for other people and putting their needs above my desires. It's everywhere. Look at Philippians 2. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you looking to the interests of others. Now, I want to be very intentional today about showing you how our fill-ins connect to one another and how they're progressive. Our dedication to caring for others is a direct reflection of our heart's desire. Our dedication to others is a direct reflection of the desire of your heart. First, Christ challenges his heart, right? And then Christ reveals the condition of his heart in the way he sees other people. Religious leaders prided themselves on their studious discipleship of the scriptures they love discipleship but that never translated into caring for other people and the modern church can easily fall into the same discipleship trap of self-righteousness that they did listen very carefully whether it's in your small group or your mentoring or your support group or wherever it is you're connected True discipleship, true discipleship must lead to a consuming compassion for the lost and the hurting. Otherwise, it's just checking religious boxes. Jesus knows this man cares more about himself than he does for other people. Yet when the Pharisees came to Jesus and they asked Jesus what the greatest commandment was, and many of you know this, Jesus said the first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. But then he says a second is equally as important as that, to love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law And all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments, both equally. Love God, love people. You cannot honor God, you cannot love God without doing both. You can't have one without the other. This man thinks that he loves God, but he doesn't care about hurting people, he doesn't care about the poor, he doesn't care about the oppressed. So he can't truly love God. And it works the other way too. If you are a social justice warrior and you're best known for your biting political posts, what does that reveal about you? Because if that's where your heart is, if that's where your mind constantly is, then it's impossible for you to truly love God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul because it's somewhere else. See, that's the, that's the mirror, the two-way mirror that we have to hold up to ourselves and examine our motives on both sides, how we love God and how we love people and what our motives are behind that. And it's only when we recognize that we are incapable Of loving God and incapable of loving people in our own strength, that Christ will revitalize all of our relationships. When we lay our relationships and our interactions with other people at the feet of Christ, He will transform our hearts toward people. He will transform our hearts toward Him, toward God, toward our families, our friends, our co workers. The person bagging groceries, the person driving too slow in front of you, the people who are hurting, the oppressed, the poor across the world, and the person that God is going to put right in front of you that is broken and hurting and that he's assigned to you. loving God means loving people so Jesus challenges this man with the commandments that clearly illustrate that he's not committed to others which means he's not truly committed to God and how does the rich young ruler respond does he repent and fall on his face no verse 20 He says, teacher, notice he didn't say good teacher after being corrected. He says, teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. And based on their culture and what he had been taught, he probably believed, truly believed he'd done everything required of him. So, rather than allowing the law, the commandments, the Torah, rather than allowing that to reveal his sinfulness, which is the only reason that the law was given, Romans 7, instead this man uses his interpretation of the law as a checklist to proclaim his own righteousness. He's doubling down on his ability to earn eternal life. Don't miss this truth. This man had fully lived up to the expectations of man and his political party. But resting in that made it impossible for him to see how far short he had fallen of God's expectations. So Jesus goes deeper. Jesus goes deeper to reveal his sinful heart toward other people. Verse 21. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There's still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and then come and follow me. And I love how the book of Mark highlights that Christ looked at him with love before conveying a very difficult truth. And of course, the Greek word used for love here is agape, the pure, unconditional love of God. Sometimes loving someone means telling them the thing they least want to hear. But listen very carefully. If you are saying something difficult or biting, and it doesn't come from a place of love, you can't say it with unconditional, agape, God-given love, then you need to check your motives before you check their action. Now the instructions Christ gives him to give everything away is usually handled in one of two ways in churches. Either... The first thing, either the pastor at this point instructs the ushers to block the door and they take up an immediate guilt offering or they go to the other extreme. And the pastor says, well, this passage isn't really about money at all. It's, it's about this man's own personal stumbling block. So don't think that this is about money. You, you just, you have to go find your own stumbling block. Well, I have to tell you, I think both methods are unbiblical and dangerous. So let me address the first one first, and let me be clear. You should never give out of guilt or shame. Ever. As one of your pastors, I'm imploring you, do not give out of guilt or shame. So this is not about taking an offering. But on the other side of the hand, it is wrong to say that this passage is not about what we do with our money. It's absolutely about what we do with our money. Yes, wealth is this man's personal stumbling block. That's true. But we just saw Jesus, not the man, we saw Jesus directly tie the concept of wealth to the Ten Commandments. So this is absolutely about money. And that means we have to talk about money, and we have to talk about it honestly. Because my character is defined by the distribution of my riches. My character is defined by the distribution of my riches. Jesus called on this man to give everything away because it revealed how little he cared about other people. Why? Because how we distribute our wealth is a direct reflection of our dedication to others, which reveals the hidden desire of our hearts. See how all these tie together? Jesus said, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. Wherever you put your treasure that reveals where your heart is and what's in your heart. See, the false comfort and security of wealth does three things. And know that I'm talking to me as well. The false security of wealth does three things. It draws us away from our reliance in God. It numbs us to the pain of others. And it seduces us into idolatry. Do you need me to say that again? The danger of wealth is that it draws us away from our reliance on God. It numbs us to the pain of others. And it seduces us into idolatry. That's what happened to the rich young ruler. And it happens to us. Jesus, in his earthly ministry, taught 39 parables. 11 were about wealth. Because what we do with our wealth reveals our heart and our priorities. And it's easy, it's easy for us to read the story of the rich young ruler and say, well, that's not me. I'm not like him. I, I have a different stumbling block, I'm sure, but I'm not like him. If I were rich, if I were rich like him, I would give and I would care for people. And I would defend the hurting and I would defend the oppressed And I would use my wealth for good. But the truth is, everyone here is incredibly wealthy. And if you're watching at home in our online campus and you have a computer to do that, you're incredibly wealthy. We just don't see it. Because we are all very rich people surrounded by obscenely rich people. And we justify our wealth, and this is how we do it. We justify our wealth by comparing it to those who have more than us instead of comparing it to those who have less than us. But I think it's important. It's important that we have an honest perspective of what we truly have if we're going to live a God-honoring life. We have to define who we are before there can be a change in who we are, right? I think it's important that we have this perspective. So no guilt. My goal is to not guilt anyone. These are just facts for our perspective. But take a look at this chart. According to multiple sources, and I went to multiple places to make sure it was true, those living at the poverty line in the United States, that's under $13,000 a year. Those living at our poverty level are among the 16% richest people in the world. That means someone that we consider in poverty is richer than 84% of the rest of the world. Wealthier than 6.6 billion other people. And we call it poverty. And in fact, you actually only need to bring in, forget $13,000, you actually only need to bring in $4,000 a year. That's a little over $300 a month to be considered middle class in the world economy. We can't even fathom the wealth that we have here. And we're numb to it because we all have it. Look at this one. If you have a personal income that's equal to just the median income in the middle in America. You're not in the top 16%, you're in the top 1%. The top 1% richest people in the entire world. Now listen, wealth was a particularly large stumbling block for this man. That part is true. And God does not call every Christian to give everything away like he told the rich young rulers to. That's a misapplication. But the uncomfortable truth is that God does hold every Christian responsible for what they do with their wealth. Jesus revealed that this man did nothing for those who were hurting. So God wanted him to give it all away. But forget giving it all away. What if we gave just a little away? What if we gave just a little away? According to Crown Financial and Relevant Magazine, is if every believer in the United States, just the United States, not the whole world, just the United States, if every believer gave just 10%, not the whole thing, 10%, in five years, the body of Christ could end starvation Across the entire globe, and bring clean water to every poor village on the planet, and eliminate illiteracy and fund every foreign missionary to spread the gospel, and still have a 100 billion dollars left for local missions. So why don't we do it? The same reason as the rich young ruler we we hold on to our earthly riches when our eyes are closed to the greater riches that Christ is offering us as children of the king of the universe turn the page for a second skip down to verse 29 look what jesus says to the disciples after the man leaves verse 29 I assure you, Jesus said, that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mothers or fathers or children or property for my sake and for the good news will receive when? What? Now. Will receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property. Along with persecution, it won't be easy. And in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be least important then. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. So there's not only a greater treasure in heaven when we give. Jesus says you'll receive a hundred times what you're giving now in this life. Now it may look different. But do you see what Jesus is doing here? What Jesus is actually doing is pretty much reiterating and reinstating or continuing the challenge and the promise that he gave in the Old Testament about tithing. It says about tithing, I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test the only place in scripture where god says test me he says try to outgive me watch jesus christ wants us to look up from what we're holding on to so tightly what we're holding on to in our hands so tightly so that he can reveal the greater riches that he's offering us and the greater family and the greater purpose But the rich young ruler didn't want to do that. How did he respond to Christ's invitation? Back up to verse 21. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And at this, the man's face fell. The Greek means to be appalled and sorrowful at the same time and he went away sad for he had many possessions now there are some optimists who read this passage and think well maybe maybe he went away sad but he still did it maybe but i don't think so And this is my opinion. You go, you ask the Holy Spirit, you read it, be Bereans, Acts 17, you decide for yourself. But here's why I think he doesn't come back. A couple of reasons. Number one, first, if he was unwilling to be transformed when he was in the presence of Christ, I don't think he decided to become transformed when he was away from Christ. Second, And this may be more practical, but this incident was so impactful that the Holy Spirit led three of the gospel writers to include this story in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But not one of them mentions the triumphant return of the poor young ruler. And finally, I don't think he came back because of the discussion that Jesus had with the disciples after he left. We'll read that in just a moment. But I think one of the reasons that we feel uncomfortable, one of the reasons we want to believe that he came back is because deep down inside we're not comfortable with the fact that Jesus let him walk away. But Jesus did let him walk away. Jesus invited him with unconditional love but when he said no he didn't chase him. And Jesus invites you into a relationship but he will not force you into obedience. This man was unwilling to give up his deepest desire in exchange for his deepest need which was Jesus Christ. Because what turned him away wasn't the realization that he'd broken all of the commandments about how to treat other people. No. It was the sudden revelation that he'd broken the first commandment. You must not have any other God but me. And Yahweh was not his primary God despite his external accomplishments in the church, and you can have great accomplishments in the church, his worship was not directed toward God. It was directed toward himself and earthly riches. And even though he knew what it was going to cost him, he chose the false security of his idol, and he walked away. My character is defined by the direction of my worship. My character is defined by the direction of my worship. The ultimate test of who you are is revealed in the direction of your worship. And everyone is worshiping something. Because what you truly worship will inform and transform The desires of your heart, your dedication to other people, and the distribution of your resources. Yes, money, but also time and your gifts and your talents. Back to verse 22 the direction of your worship. At this, the man's face fell. And what struck me when I read that was that his face fell in sorrow when he should have fallen in worship on his face. This man's face fell and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. And Jesus looked around and he said to the disciples, How hard is it for the rich to enter into the kingdom of God? And this amazed them. And the reason it amazed them was this. Because up until this very moment, wealth and power had been considered a sign of God's blessing and righteousness. But Jesus said again, dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished then who in the world can be saved, they asked. Jesus looked at them intently and he said, humanly speaking, it's impossible. But not with God. Everything is possible with God. The disciples were dismayed. They were broken. They said, if it's impossible for the most religious people, the most churchy people to enter into the kingdom of God, how can any of us be saved? And Jesus says it's impossible. It's impossible for any of you to be saved. Unless God intervenes. And that's why the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life, will never lead to eternal life because it's a form of self-worship. Right? So you have to decide. You have to decide if you want to be defined when you stand before the almighty, holy God that we've been talking about this summer. When you stand before him, do you want to be defined by by what you have accomplished in these four categories? Or do you want to be defined by what Christ has already done in these four categories? It's only when we lay it all down at the feet of Jesus once and for all when we see our need to be transformed and forgiven, that is when our lives begin to change. And that is when we receive eternal life from Christ's work instead of our own work. So what is the idol you need to lay down once and for all God is telling you something right now what in your kingdom needs to crumble the rich young ruler was standing right in front of the only one who could restore his brokenness and he walked away and you have a decision to make right now too You can leave here, leave this message discouraged by what you can't do, or you can be inspired and walk toward the one who can do it for you. Because just like the rich young ruler, he's right in front of you. He's right in front of you, waiting to restore your heart, revitalize your relationships, reveal your riches and receive your worship don't walk away let's pray Father God we thank you that you are a God who looks at our brokenness and our selfishness and our self worship and still you invite us with agape love with perfect unconditional love and so, Lord, we pray as a congregation, we pray as a people that we confess that we have idols, that we have distractions, that we have ourselves in mind more maybe than we have you in mind. And we are incapable of changing it, so I ask that the Holy Spirit would change it for us, that the Holy Spirit would make your glory and your grace irresistible to us as a people so that we might be your light to a broken world and that we would see the oppressed and the poor and the hurting through your eyes instead of through our own eyes and show us how to lay down once and for all everything and anything that stands in the way of that. And Lord, I pray for those who are here and those who are watching in our online campus that if there's someone who has to lay it down to you and surrender their lives to you once and for all, that they would reach out either to our pastors down front, our care volunteers, or the speak to a pastor button in our online campus, Lord. But I pray that you would compel them to not let them walk away. Save many and restore all, amen.
0: Thanks for joining us for this week's message. Our memory verse is Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. At Brookwood, we want to help you pursue a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience a transformed life. One way you can do this is by getting connected at Brookwood. Please email us at connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call 864-688-8326 to speak to someone on our Connections team. If you haven't already, subscribe to our podcast. Thanks for listening and have a great week.